Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Free Movement Immigration Update podcast. This month we're covering September 2019. This is a bumper Brexit issue. We're going to be covering the government's policy on ending free movement for EU citizens, allegedly. Um, We're also going to be covering a healthy crop of cases on EU immigration law while we've still got it. There are some changes on the immigration rules on the points-based system and on asylum, and we're ending on how not to get sent to prison by a family court judge. My name's Colin Yeo. I'm joined by my colleague CJ McKinney. And CJ, it's over to you. Thanks, Colin. So starting off, as you say, with Brexit, which is all a bit up in the air at the moment in general, uh, we're recording this on the late afternoon of Friday, the 18th of October, and MPs are voting on Boris Johnson's deal tomorrow, actually. So by the next episode, we should know what's actually going on with Brexit in general, deal or no deal or remain, whatever it might be. Um, But what we can say, at least, is what's happening with free movement for EU citizens uh, if there is no deal. Uh, There were a lot of rumours flying around over the summer, mostly caused by the government's own press briefings, but we now seem to have an actual settled policy, Colin. Yes, and um, it's pretty much the same as the old settled policy as well. Um, Although, to be fair, actually there's some improvements, I think, from the point of view of um, EU citizens entering after um, Brexit occurs. Um, There's a slightly weird kind of system of voluntary applications for temporary leave to remain, Um, and it's not really all that clear why somebody would want to apply, at least at the, the beginning of, um, of, the, of the period that this lasts for. Um, so, yeah, there's some slight odd quirks to it like that. And the fact is that over time, we're going to see employers and others being a bit more kind of cautious about the status of EU citizens as the kind of end date of, um, of, of, of the immigration European Economic Area Regulations kind of um, approaches. So, yeah, it, 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 it's 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 we, we, at least we've got some certainty now. We know that free movement law, technically in legal terms, you know, no longer will apply in the UK after a No Deal Brexit. Um, but in fact, the regulations are going to, to carry on in the background up until uh, what would that be? The end of December twenty twenty, and then there would be the uh, EU temporary leave would kick in at that stage. Yeah, so the, the way it will work is that if you've applied um, before that date, then it carries on for, I think it's three years now, they've said, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so it carries on for three years, and that will take you past the the end date at the end of 2020, as you say, um, which means that you kind of got an incentive to wait until the last minute to apply, basically, because at the end of your European temporary leave, you're going to have to somehow qualify under the new system. And we don't know what that new system looks like at this point in time. So, um, you know, if you apply at the you know, straight away after Brexit occurs, obviously the nature of the three year period is that it's going to end sooner rather than later. You might as well wait until later on. And then that gives you buys you a bit more time, basically. Yeah. OK, so it's a stopgap. And if you wait till the last possible moment, you can get that three year stopgap carrying you over. Well, that's that's certainly how it looks at this point in time. Yeah. Cool. At least we we have a policy, unlike the sort of vast uncertainty uh, that we did over the summer. Um, Let us look then at the EU settlement scheme. So we were just talking about, I suppose, new arrivals from EU countries. And we're now talking about people who already live in the UK, uh, EU citizens and their situation. Uh, And they're covered by the EU settlement scheme, which is the app and all the rest of it. Um, And there have been some changes to that in the latest statement of changes to the immigration rules. Uh, Now, these statement of changes cover lots of little bits, so we we won't go over everything. But 
in particular, the rules on surrender sing applications under the settlement scheme have been clarified. So if you have a client in that kind of situation who wants to use the settlement scheme, maybe have a fresh look at Appendix EU because it has been sort of updated. And there's also a bit you've spotted, Colin, about cancelling or curtailing settled status if, if you've been granted it. Yeah, and this is all kind of part of the fact that the, the EU settlement scheme is basically just part of the immigration rules. That, that That's all it is. And the immigration rules can be changed pretty much at any time by the government. Um, and and you know, the fact that these changes are being introduced just goes to show how easy that is. Um, one of the one of the sort of sets of changes is really to bring the EU settled status scheme into line with other similar types of status um, which already exist under the rules and it allows for status to be taken away in certain circumstances. Now, of course, most EU citizens don't have anything to worry about here. It's it's in circumstances where the leave was obtained by deception or um, false representation or something like that, or where a person has had previous um, refusals of entry by the Home Office and nevertheless they've somehow been granted leave later. So it's quite a narrow category of case, but it's just sort of reinforcing the point that, first of all, the rules can be changed at will, and secondly, that basically EU citizens are being treated as other other types of migrants once they've got this status. Yeah, worth being aware that it happens for sure, even if it's not going to be a, a widespread occurrence, hopefully. Let's look then at what's happening in European Union immigration law, as you say, while it still uh, exists prior to Brexit. Several important cases in that respect. The first one from the Court of Justice, uh, C544-18, HMRC and Dac- uh, Dacnebicute. Um This was about retaining EU law residence rights if you stop working to have a baby, uh, which from what I remember, it's fairly settled that women in general do retain residence rights if they... Uh, stop work to have a baby but there was a question about self-employed women specifically and the court found that they also have these maternity rights of residence which doesn't sound like a big surprise no it certainly doesn't come as a surprise to lawyers um i don't think it would have come as much of a surprise to the home office i can't imagine they really thought they were going to win this case and you you say the the rights of women to be treated as a worker while they're off on maternity leave are are settled but i I don't forget that um the government actually fought this in the sam pre case only a few years back um so you know it's not that settled it took a european court of justice case to get that established in the first place and the home office has been fighting a rearguard action against maternity rights ever since which is just weird it's bizarre in this day and age that the home office is behaving in this way the uk government's behaving in this way um so uh, the, the argument in this case was about whether some pre-rights apply not just to workers but also to self-employed women it seems pretty inevitable that, that that they were going to why the uk wants to fight it, i just don't know um and the uk ultimately lost so yeah yeah, I've forgotten that they fought Sam Pree tooth and nail as well. They they sort of get away with these really uh, tough arguments without as much flack as you'd think they might get. Yeah, I, I agree. I know, you know we, they should be you know, eviscerated for this kind of behaviour, frankly. It's just it's really unacceptable that they're sort of resisting this. It leaves EU women potentially in a, in a very vulnerable state. Ultimately, in the UK, I suppose that doesn't actually matter because we're, we're leaving it. it at this point in time. It looks like we're probably leaving anyway. Um, but, you know, it's true in other EU countries as well. And we, we've seen when, when people were applying for permanent residence, we were often seeing refusals on the basis of basically maternity leave. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really not very good behaviour at all by the Home Office here. No, but remedied by the court at least. Yes. 
in the also at the Court of Justice was a case about removing non-EU family members who have lost their right of residence. Uh, this one cited as C ninety four eighteen Chenchulia. Uh, tell us about this, Kong, because this this was surprising. I think. Yeah, I, well, I was certainly surprised by this one, and I, I'm still not quite sure what to make of it. So it, it, it's a case where the um, applicant had a pretty um, weak claim to have been resident under EU law at any point. Um, the best she could do, I think, was argue that she'd had an initial right of residence for three months um, as the family member of an EU citizen because she wasn't herself from the EU. Um, and even on that really rather weak basis, she succeeded in her argument in saying that even though her rights under the directive had lapsed because the EU citizen family member had actually left the country and and gone back to his home country, um, she nevertheless could only be removed in accordance with EU law. And this this being Ireland, the the Irish rules apparently are essentially what we'd call deportation here. So you you don't just get removed, but you also get an automatic um, ban on returning as well. Um, and the court held that having that automatic ban on return was incompatible with EU law and couldn't be applied, and that you know EU law proportionality applied to the decision to remove. And I, you know, I think most of us, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but but um, I certainly thought that you know where your EU law rights have lapsed and you've got no right under the directive anymore, I thought you'd be subject to national law at that point, and you'd be subject to a sort of national law removal. I, I didn't think that you'd be able to rely on EU law to resist removal in those circumstances. Yeah, it's a sort of lingering effect of EU law that sort of has a half-life much longer than you would think, I suppose, which is which is interesting. Are, are there practical implications, though, for this decision in the UK? Well, I think there must be. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if the Home Office amends the regulations. It seems pretty doubtful. You know, whenever they, they lose a case and rights are expanded by the, the CJEU, the Home Office is very slow to, to amend the regulations. Um, but it, it, you know, at the moment, if if you are appealing a decision where somebody is facing removal, having lost their rights, then um, you can plead EU law proportionality. What, what then happens if you actually win that argument is another question, because um, you wouldn't necessarily get any EU law status. You're not entitled to it, I don't think. You'd get some sort of national law status. Um, probably, ultimately, you'd, you'd get two and a half years of discretionary leave. Um, but it would certainly looks like it widens out the arguments from those that are normally available to resist removal where you don't have any EU law rights of residence. Excellent. Finally, a Surinder Singh case in the upper tribunal this time. Um, the Home Office has been saying for years now that a British citizen moving to another EU country, uh, as per the requirements for Surinder Singh, that they need to have moved the centre of their life, is the phrase in the regulations, um, to that country before they qualify for Surinder Singh. There's now a case finding that this Home Office stance is a load of rubbish and doesn't comply with EU law. It is ZA Regulation 9 EEA Regs Abuse of Rights, Afghanistan 2019 UKUT 281 IAC. And this is one where you do your I told you so dance card. Exactly. You can probably hear me doing that in the background. And <laughs> we've been banging on about this for years. It's the you know, centre of life test. It, it just has no basis in EU law. I think it, it came originally from some sort of um, report by the, the, the commission, but it was never incorporated into EU law. It never featured in any of the case law. And it was just obvious there was no basis for it. I think the Home Office 
felt they couldn't climb down. Um, hopefully, they will amend the regulations to get rid of it, but I somehow doubt that's the case. And um, the, the and it's very welcome that the, the upper tribunal finally got around to looking at this properly. But um, I think the kind of solution that the judge came up with in this case was to kind of read down the regulations so that centre of life doesn't mean what the Home Office thinks it means. Um, it might have been clearer just to say, look, the regulations, that these bits of the regulations shouldn't be applied um, and, and judges should just rely directly on EU law. Um, but it doesn't 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 really matter. The effect is more or less the same, I think, in most cases. The the problem though is that while the regulations remain unamended, you get one decision on one basis from the Home Office, and then if you've got the kind of resources to appeal and, and you know what the arguments are, then you ought to be able to succeed on an appeal against that. Um but that's not a very satisfactory state of affairs. It'd be much better if the Home Office was getting these right the first time. Yeah, and obviously appeals take time and people want to get on with their lives and so on. Um, before we move on from EU law, there's uh, obviously a general question mark that we've alluded to a few times uh, in this episode and in previous podcasts just about EU law and Brexit and Court of Justice decisions and Brexit and what happens to all these things that we're discussing. Uh, certainly I found myself wondering about that. Uh, so just to flag that uh, we got Ian Halliday to write a briefing on this called The Status of EU Immigration and Asylum Law After Brexit, which is uh, really succinct and just takes you through how you would work out whether a given piece of EU law or an EU case would apply after Brexit, because there's a few different permutations. So uh, well worth a read, I would say. Yes, couldn't agree more. And and some re- some really useful stuff there on you know directive effect direct directly effective EU law rights, like with um, Serena Singh we were just talking about a minute ago, um, still being applicable in the UK after Brexit by virtue of um, Section Four, I think it is of the um, of the, the 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 Act. So you know it, it's a, it's a useful briefing if you've been curious about you know what is going to be the value of a CJEU case after um, we leave. If you're trying to rely on that in court or with the Home Office or whatever, then um, that's a it's a good crib sheet for you absolutely let's look then at some changes to the immigration rules on work visas this was again that same statement of changes that was published on the 9th of september and came into force on the 1st of october a lot of these work visa changes have been flagged well in advance but they're now a legal reality so there is an expanded shortage occupation list Uh, there is the removal of phd level jobs from the tier two quota and they have scrapped the infamous takeaway rule, uh, which uh, is good news. That one was particularly infamous, I think. Yeah, too late for all the people who lost their case in the meantime, some of whom went up to um, up to the higher courts. But um, they're good news that it's happened belatedly. Absolutely. Um, also, in that statement, it changes some tweaks to the startup and innovative rules, some stuff in Tier 1 Investor about extending your visa if your investment was held in UK government bonds, which no longer uh, qualify. Uh, tightening up of Tier 1 exceptional talent on the tech side, you need three letters of support for a tech nation endorsement um, and some other sort of tightening up, tightenings up. Um, so again with these statements of changes lots of bits and pieces yeah. I don't know if there's anything else that jumped out for oh, you well, don't forget the professional sports person definition that's oh, the course, fourth yeah. time this year that's been changed because the home office is just determined to keep out these people on the borderline between amateur and professional sports <laughs> haven't they got better things to do with their time like you know Brexit or something than changing this definition but there you go I'll probably change it uh, another another time next month yeah um 
Well, with that out of the way, uh, we can talk about the really exciting news. So there is a brand spanking new graduate immigration route, which allows international students to study for two years after they've graduated from UK university. And this is nothing at all like the boring old uh, two-year post-study work visa that was scrapped years ago. Totally, totally different, right? Uh, yeah, and the schemes that predated that. I, I wrote, wrote a quick post on this at the time. I had quite good fun dredging up some old acronyms and friends, the science and engineering graduate scheme from 2004, the fresh talent working in Scotland scheme and all that kind of stuff. Um, so no, it's welcome that it's back. And I think we um, the, the Home Office sort of quietly, um, or when, they, when they announced this, the details really weren't that clear and the, the implementation date in particular wasn't clear like you know if you're currently a student would you be able to benefit it from from it or, or would it only be new students starting in the uk from a certain date or, or whatever i think the home office has released um some sort of fact sheet just the other day although i'm not sure i've been through it in enough detail to talk about that at this point uh, i've got it here what they say about the uh, eligibility date anyway they say that the new route will be launched in the summer of 2021 meaning that any eligible student who graduates in the summer of 2021 or after will be able to apply for the route so that sounds like yeah if you're if you're a current student and you graduate at 2021 or after you're in yeah Good so be, yeah happy students and happy happy universities i think more to the point because it makes um the sort of offering from UK universities more attractive and more competitive. And um, it's presumably part of, of a drive to increase the number of, of foreign students. Moving on to other aspects of the government's immigration policy, one of which is having an Australian-style points-based system. Uh, the current government have found that this phrase goes down as well in focus groups as it did for Tony Blair and Gord Brown. So the Migration Advisory Committee have been instructed now to look into how that would work effectively um do, do we want to go into what a point space system is or is supposed to be oh god no no it's just like yeah you know, all immigration is just groaning at this point you now we've got a point space system why does it have to be an australian one and oh no and um i think that the migration advisory committee is probably feeling pretty much the same way about the whole thing as well but um they're the poor souls who have to actually um do this and and you know it it Everything depends on how you define it. You 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 can have um, you don't have to have the kind of multi tier sort of massive sprawling points based system that we've got now. It might just be restricted to a specific type of visa, which was equivalent to the kind of highly skilled migrant program that used to be, or, or, or tier one general that got scrapped. Um, we've had some there's some details um, sort of more recently about the idea that there might be more of a waiting if you're outside London and things like that. So it, it sounds like they are serious about reintroducing some sort of points mean prizes element to it, which was you know lost from the current points based system years and years ago. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the the Mac come up with, given that as you say, you know, it can be a super restrictive system if you you know set the points very high or very liberal if they're low. And I don't know if they'd be given a steer on that, but we'll we'll see. But, what they come out with. Uh, let us talk about asylum. They're again going to these immigration rules changes. Um, they're again from the first of October. The uh, there's a bit about the Dubs Amendment on unaccompanied refugee children. Uh, this is allowing a small number of unaccompanied refugee children into the UK on what is called Section sixty seven leave. Uh, previously, these children had to apply for asylum and be rejected before they qualified for this leave. Uh, now they can just get it on arrival, which is an improvement. And there is also a 
change to the rules on third country admissibility. Uh, I might ask you to explain this one, Colin, but uh, basically uh, they're trying to make it so that they, they can reject asylum claims where the ap- applicant has passed through a safe third country. Yes, and, and the problem for the um, Home Office is that um, those rules are currently defined with reference to Dublin regulation, and Dublin regulation is going to cease having effect after Brexit. So they've had to sort of tweak it in order to um, stay still, so to speak. So there's no real policy change here. There's just a, a sort of legal tweaking to the to the words, as far as I can see. Excellent. Just an asylum case from the upper tribunal to mention. It is called AAR and AA, non-Arab Darfuris Return Sudan, 2019 UKUT 282 IAC. Basically, the Home Office wanted to start sending people back to Sudan, uh, specifically non-Arab people from Darfur, uh, and the tribunal says no, non-Arab Darfuris are still at risk of persecution, uh, no change to previous country guidance. Yeah, Any- it, yeah, it, it's, it's a funny one because the Home Office, um, you know, things seem to have improved in Sudan. The Home Office um, decided then to, to try and sort of overturn the existing country guidance on that basis. And then, of course, things really kicked off in Sudan again, meaning that... Um, the tribunal said, "Well, basically, no. You know, things are things are still very dangerous there, and it's a it's a lesson in the need for there to be durable, you know, change that's um, that, that that's going to last, as opposed to kind of, you know, immediately jumping on the opportunity to to try and just start sending people back." One case then on unlawful detention claims. This one is about the quite troubling issue of bail accommodation. Um, we've said before on the podcast or certainly on the website, it's very difficult nowadays for people who could be released on bail if they had a place to stay to get home office provided accommodation. Um, partly in fairness, because it, sometimes it needs to be suitable for people who've, who've committed criminal offences. But there's also, I think, a sense that the home office doesn't bust a gut to, to get people out of detention in these circumstances. Um, but there's now a case where someone has won an unlawful detention claim. Um, it looked like because of the delay in finding accommodation after they were after they were granted bail in principle, and that's uh, DM Tanzania 2019 EWHC. 2351 admin how significant is that it's it's not that significant i suppose but i know there's a couple of things to draw attention to one is the um very satisfying use of inverted quotation marks by the judge to describe the so-called system operating between the secretary of state for the home department his suppliers the probation service and sometimes the police for sorting out accommodation yeah it's no system at all it's just a complete mess um and, and then you know the home office trying to argue here that lack of suitable accommodation which the home office itself hadn't provided was justification for detention which is you know, hugely circular and very dangerous argument and and, and the judge didn't didn't uh, didn't like it and finally as you mentioned at the outset there is an extra way to get sent to prison as an immigration lawyer which is um terrifying not just hammered hearings there's also family court contempt uh, proceedings potentially if you use documents from a family case as evidence in an in an immigration matter without permission essentially uh, one paralegal found this out recently to his cost uh, Nazrullah Mursalin sentenced to six months suspended for sending family papers to the immigration tribunal thankfully the, the court of appeal did overturn that in the case that was recently reported uh, 2019 EWCA Civ 155 but the principle remains I, I think uh, a salutary reminder if you break these family court rules you, you can be sent to prison 
Yeah, and and um, I guess he just hadn't been aware of that. Um, but but you know, people should be. It's really important not to disclose stuff out of family proceedings without permission. They're they're sort of automatically covered by contempt rules. Um, I, I think we've updated our and we, we we've written about this before. And I'm quite interested in the kind of crossover between family and immigration because I, I used to do family work as well. And um, I think we've just updated our, our briefing on these issues for those who are interested. Yeah, uh, Rachel Francis of One Pump Core has given it quite a detailed explainer on what the rules are and crucially how to you know, com- comply with them and actually get the documents you need, not just be scared of the family jurisdiction. Yeah, because I mean, the, the papers can be very useful indeed, but there are protocols for sort of communication and um, doing it by request and, and, and things like that. Right, I think that wraps up for this month. So thank you very much for listening. We hope that was useful and goodbye from us. <laughs>